Something that is sometimes a little bit overlooked is the self-revelation on both sides. What do I send out about myself by telling something? And what does the other, or how does the other person perceive me through what I say? This is especially in a coaching environment when you think about uh, trust and building rapport. The CPG Masterclass Series. Find out more at cp.golf forward slash masterclass. I'll just introduce you briefly for, uh, to Marie. She's a Level A PGA of Austria professional and a CPG development team member and has been the Austria Girls National Coach all years from 14 to 18. She has a master's degree in communication science and coaching from the University of Vienna and has worked with the CPG on numerous initiatives over the years as well. So we're very, uh, very happy to have Marie on today. Without further ado, I guess I'll hand you straight over. Marie? Thanks very much. Uh, I hope everyone can hear me. Thank you very much, everyone, to take the time to listen in today. I tried to put together together a few things from my uh, background on communication science that could be interesting for all of us for the coaching we do on a daily basis. So to go straight into it, uh, one of Austrian's most famous um, communication theorists was uh, Paul Watzlawick. He's a bit uh, like the godfather of communication science. His most famous quote and most famous axiom uh, in communication science was that we cannot not communicate, which means everything we do, we interact with our surroundings. So as soon as we perceive other human beings, we're basically in interaction, if we want it or not, and if we deliberately do it or not. So whatever we do, and sometimes also whatever we don't do, is also an already classed as communication. This is very important when we deal, um, especially on a daily basis, with people. From this, it was broadened to the communication square by Schultz von Thun, which um, basically states that every communication, every message has four sides. So there's always two truths, basically. There is the factual information, so the actual information that is sent. There is always some self-revelation, something about myself that through the message gets transported to the other person. There is always something that tells um, about the relationship I have to this other person. And there is always a sort of order, which means something I want the other person to do, which could be something to think, something to actually do, or just something to consider. So all these four messages are always sent and all these four messages are always received. If you think back to the way we work with people, we spend a lot of time on the factual information, getting more knowledge and transporting more knowledge, better knowledge. And um, this is the what, what we send out. Most ex- let me put it in a sentence, uh, as uh, important as the what is the how. So how I send this information to the other person and what other parts do I send with this information? Because how well balanced this information is sent, how congruent I am on sending on all these four levels, the better this information can be received by the other person. And it also determines what the other person hears. Um, let me bring you uh, an example. 
if you grow up in an environment, for example, where there is a lot of order-based information or messaging, then this part of the square will always be heightened. So you will pick out the order more from what has been said and you will maybe also act a little bit defensive towards uh, people giving you advice or telling you things because this order bit is heightened. So your order ears, so to speak, is always listening a little bit more. If we go to the next slide, then you will see these two sides of the coin. So you will always have what the transmitter sends out and what the receiver hears. Toon called this basically the, the four voices and the four ears. Um, so for every side of this communication square, you have one voice, which is the factual voice, the order, the relationship and the self-revelation. And it depends now, like I said before, how well do I balance and send out on all these four levels? Do I speak in all these four voices or do I speak only in one voice? And the other thing is how well does this um, attune with my body language, with the voice I'm using, with the tone I'm using, with the state of mind I'm in, and also with the intention I have to send this information. What we sometimes don't see is what the receiver gets. So the ears the receiver has when he listens to information that we send out, which is when he gets factual information, he asks himself, is this information true? Is this information relevant for me? Do I need it? Is this information complete? Do I need any additional uh, nuggets to make it a full picture? The other thing is he asks himself, what should I do with this? So what should I do, think, feel now, and how should I use this information for myself? And what state does that get me in? So when I get something told, it depends on which ear I'm hearing with, is um, what state am I in? Am I in a state that I can actually take this on, um, where this is actually um, usable for me? Or does it get me in a state where I get a little bit defensive or confused, where I can't use this information that I'm getting? And something that is sometimes a little bit overlooked is the self-revelation on both sides, which is what do I send out about myself by telling something? And what does the other or how does the other person perceive me through what I say? This is especially in a coaching environment when you think about uh, trust and building rapport with someone else is very important of how, um, what about myself do I send out and what does the other person about me get transmitted? This is all based on our belief system. So a lot of these things and especially which side of the square we focus on more or we are used to focus on more has a lot to do with our beliefs. Our beliefs are generalizations. There are theories about the world, but other than scientists, as human beings, we don't work that precise because um, as a scientist, when you come up with a theory, you want to disprove it. So you basically keep it valid until you prove it wrong. As human beings, we're not wired in that way. 
So there is two theories that deal a lot with the belief system we have, which is the cognitive dissonance and the confirmation bias. They're both two sides, but of of the same coin, which means that the cognitive dissonance says people don't like disharmony. So they don't want to hear something that is against their belief system. And they choose to avoid hearing it. And the confirmation bias says people actively search for information that confirms their beliefs. So when you deal with people and when you teach, and especially when you change their perception about something, it is a very fine line to walk along how much to change a perception without pushing them away too much so they feel disharmony, imbalance, where they go like, no, this is too much against my belief system. And where you don't go the other way, where you just confirm what they want to hear. So this is a very fine line to tread along when you coach. The third one um, is very interesting because it's um, in in, uh, science shown that there is a hierarchy, which means the brain is on top, then there is the neurological system, then there's the fascia, and then the skeletal system. So whatever changes you want to make to the body um, need to come from the brain. So basically, when you change the brain, when you change the perception, then you can really make lasting and quite severe changes to the body. The other way around is not very strong. So bodily changes can have an effect effect on the brain, but not in a way that it changes a long time and also not that it changes uh, severely. So perception changes always need to come first. This is one beautiful thing that uh, Michael Hebron said in his book, My um, Mindsets Before Skill Sets. So always work on the mindset first, work on the perception first, on the belief. Find out what is the belief that person has, maybe also why he has it, because a lot of these beliefs we have are planted inside of us. They came from the outside at some point, something we heard, something we were told, something we experienced. So they come from the outside and then they manifest in ourselves that we create a theory because what these beliefs are, they help us navigate the world, basically. So our theory is to navigate the world, to make order uh, in something that is very chaotic. So they're very important for us. And if we can make changes to this, we can really make an impact on the person we're working with, we're dealing with. This is a very famous quote um, by Henry Ford, which says, whether you think you can or you can't, you're always right which basically means your belief is really the basis for everything. If you believe you can do something, you're right. And if you believe you can't do, you're right. Because your belief system is the lens you through, uh, you uh, look at the world. This is your glasses you're wearing through which you see the world. And the color glasses is chosen by your beliefs and what you focus on. So everything at the end comes down to your belief system. And as coaches, how well we deal with the belief system and change it. How can we now bridge this gap? 
there is certain strategies and I really wanted just to put out a few nuggets um, to make you interested in getting even further if you want to pursue. There is a lot of research and a lot of information out there about this and it really improves and it's all really nice tools for the toolbox we have as a coach. One of it is, as I started with the presentation, the messages, the communication square, and being aware that there is four levels that are transported within each message. And also finding out which is dominant for myself. So a lot of coaching has to do with self-reflection and self-growth, which means finding out which side do I hear or which ear is trained the most in myself and which voice do I use the most because then I can start and get really interested curious and learn about the sites the other person I'm dealing with is dominant with part of this is creating rapport which means a communication base a wavelength where you can really communicate well with someone else one part of this is pacing um, pacing is known from NLP, for example, which means attuning to. That means you use the same language as the other person. You might use the same tone or a similar tone. You uh, might attune in body position, in pitch, in whatever helps you to find the same wavelength with the other person. Because only then we can go to leading. And um, if we go to leading too quick, there will be resistance from the other person or the, the leading might not go anywhere. And leading, the main principle also used, for example, in NLP or communicology, all these sciences that work with it, is a win-win situation. So we don't want to lead someone in a direction Either he doesn't want to go or he doesn't need to go. So it's always for the benefit of the student and with this, the benefit of myself for helping him to reach this goal. The third part of creating report is, um, was for me the most interesting when I learned it, which is pattern interruptions. In sociology, pattern interruptions are used deliberately to really break a pattern, especially when you uh, like you go down a stream and you're, the water is dragging you along and you want to get out. You really need something strong to break this pattern and exit the river, for example. So the same when you work with someone and you see, okay, it, it's leading down somewhere, you get dragged along, but you see, ah, no, that's not the way to go. You really need a clear break. And the pattern interruption, for example, can be sudden silence. It can be turning around and walking away. It can be a clap, a scream, or something as irrelevant for the conversation, like saying cheesecake. It's basically creating a situation where one or both people go, oh, wow, okay, what's going on now? And getting the opportunity to get distance between the stimulus and your response and to really evaluate the situation, um, which is a beautiful tool because a lot of us, especially when we work with NLP or communicology, we work a lot on pacing and we work a lot on leading. 
But these pattern interruptions are really important. Um, when you see, okay, this, is, this has a pattern, I want to break it, I need to go a different way, really dare to do it, which is also saying no as a coach. Where we come to straight on to the boundaries. So it's very important to have uh, also in the language that you use clear frames, which means my time frames I'm using the activity frames I'm choosing for the person and for the development, the frames of understanding. So am I and the other person in the same frame of understanding or is he talking about apples and I'm talking about bananas and we don't even are aware of this situation. So this is very important. And also like above, the frame for myself saying, no, this is not it, referring someone maybe to someone else just evaluating and um, having clear frames for myself, for my work. And from a communication standpoint, it's also the messages I'm sending out. So that I'm very clear about I and you messages. I earned this t-shirt a long time ago because I used that and now we're going to hit some balls uh, a lot of times. And I always afterwards think to myself, and I did it again. But uh, lately, I really watched my language when I teach and to be really clear about I and really clear about you. Because this not only is important from the, the communication side, but also from the responsibility. This is I, this is my responsibility, and this is you, this is your responsibility. And this makes a huge difference also from a science perspective, the way you communicate, if you can clearly separate the I and the you message, especially in a coaching environment. The last point is um, to create really a broadband connection, which means to use all sensory channels. We've all been trained about uh, visual, auditive, kinesthetic, and, then, and that there is certain people that have a preference for either or. I would personally say, also from a science perspective, always use all senses. Because a lot of strategies that people use doing things, they don't use just one sense. It's a mixture of all of them, and it's a certain order in which they are used. Um, so from this perspective, you're on a much broader connection with the person if you use all sensory channels involved. And also, and there is a lot of beautiful literature out there right now about guided focus. Um, where do you guide the focus? There have been studies about what better focus is there, external, internal, for example, for learning and also for performance. And it's a very interesting field because you can really guide someone's attention and also use cues, use messages, use nuggets that they can really, that are usable for them. Not just something that sounds good, but something that directs them directly like an archer when he aims his arrow and he really focuses on the target. So it helps the, the words we use, the language we use, the way we create focus in the person really helps to um, guide their attention and narrow their attention to where we would like it to be for them to perform well and to make changes they want to achieve.
which goes along with guided discovery, using metaphors, and also creating tacit knowledge. Tacit knowledge is different to factual knowledge, which means tacit knowledge is a little bit dif um, in, in science explained as skills. You sometimes can't even explain where that comes from or why it's there, but it's something that ran through your system and you created a skill. And then this skill is also transferable into other situations, which is the beauty of it. Because if you can have one certain information and you can store it because you learned it, you can use it in this situation. But if you create uh, knowledge that is run through the senses, through the system that the student really owns, then he can transfer it into different situations. And that makes the person much more flexible and also functional, especially in stressful situations. These are two books I would like to introduce you. One is very beautiful by Nick Winkleman, The Language of Coaching, which is um, touching on a few of these points I put out. He also does a two-hour free workshop on uh, YouTube right now, which is also amazing. It's interesting because it's a really different approach to coaching. The other one from Michael Hebron, Learning with the Brain in Mind. It's really mindsets before skill sets and how much you can do if you change the perception of someone. I, when I started with all my communication experience, more or less, in coaching, it was more of a, a trial and error and it was more of a like um, curiosity to, okay, I change someone's perception and see what happens. And it really amazed me what you can do um, if you work on the, on the side of the brain, on the side of the perception and their beliefs and through the language you use. And if you have any further questions, I want to thank you very much for listening and um, you can reach me anytime. And I look forward to answer some questions. Thank you, Marie, for that. I hope you all found that really, uh, really insightful. I certainly did. It was interesting to see the uh, different theories behind communication. In some of the stuff you've just talked about, does that information and, and the way people process things differ, differ? So, for example, in the instance of children, so if you're coaching juniors, and, and sort of practically, how would you um, adapt the way you communicate a piece of information to, say, uh, your average Joe? 18 handicap male to a junior girl who's just started with you it's basically different i would say it's very individual because you, you can have these children that ask you really clever stuff and you get children that are a little bit appear more younger than they are or more playful i would say what i adjust the most is the metaphors i use I can't say it's female male young older people it's I get a, a the first half an hour. I really get an idea of what this person's language is, this their world is, and then I try to to use these cues they give me to use metaphors they can work with. Got a question from uh, Jose. What kind of questions do you ask a new student? The first one is basically how I can help them because I want them to formulate what they need and what they think they lack and what they think they want to achieve. This is for me one of the basic things and I really want a detailed description from them. Also when I work on things like ball flight, I really want them to be able to explain to me what happens when the ball doesn't behave the way they 
wanted to, for example, or when they play in a way that they're not happy with. So I would say I'd ask very open questions so they can talk a lot and I get to listen to the way they use language and the way they talk and express themselves. Wojciech asks, um, something that often crops up in uh, various coaching science forums, what is the evidence behind NLP? It is often referred to as scienceiness, um, as he refers to it. It's based on the work of Michael Bateson, and uh, it's been, uh, been developed through the Palo Alto Group in California in the 70s, 60s, 70s. And through this, uh, two branches uh, developed. One was NLP, which is nowadays very commercial, and the other one is more in the Scandinavian region, which is communicology. The basis behind it is um, learning human communication and learning human behavior from a perspective where we are not um, associated with it. So we step back and we say, what's common between uh, people communicating and what's common between things? So it's really about um, seeing patterns and learning patterns um, throughout the world, basically. Well, a question from Tara Delaney. Any tips to communicate with perceived confidence when you your, yourself may not be feeling it as a coach? We, off, we obviously have good days and bad days ourselves. Is there a particular ways you can maybe uh, combat that? I would say that the advice I could give is take a deep mindful breath and slow down. I experience myself when I get nervous, I get quicker and to really slow down. And so I think also the honesty in the approach that um, we're there to help. So this means also to be able to say, you know what, I have no idea. I look it up for you and I come back to you. And I think this gives you a lot of confidence in yourself when you don't feel like you have to know everything and you have to be able to answer everything, but just to say, you know what, no clue. Um, I look it up. I text you, I call you, I tell you next time. Do you ever, uh, I've got a question from uh, Manuel, um, do you ever make questions at the end of the session to the student if the answer is yes? What sort of questions are you looking for to try and ask and sort of how do you establish whether that session has been a success as a result? One thing is um, I have them summarise it, what we've done throughout the sessions. Uh, again, I'd love to hear it in their words and also to see if they connected the dots or if they just took some random thing out and um, forgot about all the rest. It's like um, sometimes when you have lessons, for example, and you do a video analysis uh, with women, the whole swing is not existent. All they, they care about is uh, the jumper and the way the jumper looks on the video. So it's just a little bit to make sure at the end of the lesson that they repeat it in their own words and also what they liked and I also always ask them for something they would like different the next time which includes myself to get feedback on different drills different way of explaining something not be scared of feedback from people another question from MC Cortina is there a is there a certain pace of speaking that is best um, I guess you know does that change from person to person or is there a, um, an optimal for everybody it's individual what your style is, style frame. It's also dependent on the context. For example, if you enter a church, everyone normally starts talking very slow and very, um, very low volume, for example. So, because the surrounding 
gives it for you. The same is true as a pattern interruption. For example, in kids training, often when the environment gets really loud and out of control, I just start talking really, really slow and really quiet. And then you can see they can't hear anything anymore. So I don't try to overpower them with my voice. I just lower my voice and then suddenly they go, ah, okay, and listen. So it's individual. I think you have to be confident in the way that you don't have to try to be different than you are. It's just sometimes you have people that talk in a, in a very specific way where it can help to adjust a little bit to the way they are talking. So if you have someone that is very exaggerated and um, talks very fast, for example, it helps to just up your speed a little bit to adjust to that other person instead of staying in maybe your style, which is very calm, very um, low voice. Question from uh, Clara. I think this is something I've had from coaching myself a little bit is that you know if you're coaching somebody who's perhaps older than you um or maybe a very good player how do you seem how do you what sort of tips do you do to be seem credible and convincing often that can be a, a challenge when coaching if say for example you're a lot younger than somebody else i tried that a lot at the beginning and then i completely stopped i changed my belief to the to the one that it's um if he comes for a lesson with me he's at least interested in what i have to say and it's okay for me if he listens to my opinion and says, that's rubbish, I go somewhere else. So in some way, I try to stop proving myself. And with this, people, people feel that. And um, in, in German, it's a little bit different as well with this because we, have, uh, we don't use you like you have uh, in, in English where it's general. We have different forms for formal and informal. Um, so this also creates a little bit of, of different respect, in, so to speak. So if you have an instance where uh, it's clearly obvious that a student is perhaps emotionally imbalanced, is there ways around dealing with that or is it uh, more a matter of to call off a lesson and reschedule? I've been dealing with a lot of uh, situations in coaching where the, the student was in some way imbalanced. Um, this could have been like a, even a personal tragedy or... Um, something that happened or um, anger. This I can really deal with. Um, for me, there is a boundary. I had that so far once uh, where I really felt myself completely uncomfortable and uh, where I knew there is such a bad vibe here. Um, and then I really, I stepped in and I said, listen, I'm sorry, but um, I don't think this is working. Um, so again, honesty and not trying to like grab this one lesson, but just to say, listen, because he was throwing clubs and um, shouting and all these things. So for me, that was just not environment, uh, again, to my frame where I want to be. Is there any time during the lesson that one has to be forceful or hard on a student to bring them back into a session? Um, is that anything from your experience? For me, that hardness comes through pattern interruptions. And they don't even have to be hard in that way. So, I mean, saying to someone suddenly like, come on, just focus, look here, is in some way a pattern interruption. I had that, for example, once uh, with an elite player I worked with. And I said, um, where, was, uh, where was the weighted impact? And the answer was uh, the ball was going left. And I just looked at her and I went like, cheesecake. And she looked at me and she went like, what? I said, 
Well, that has exactly the same to do with what you just said. My question was, where was the weight? So you can use pattern interruptions or be hard in a very soft way as well. And that's the beauty about language. The better you can use these tools that language give you, the more creative you can be without being forceful in some way. That wraps up the Q&A. If anybody does have any other burning questions from today's webinar, please feel free to email me, um, tb at cpg.golf, uh, with your question. I'm, I'm sure Marie will be happy if I forward that on to her to answer for you. And thank you to Marie as well for giving up your time uh, today to speak to everybody. It's really appreciated. Thank you. Thanks. The CPG Masterclass Series. Find out more at cp.golf forward slash masterclass.